Hello and welcome to this episode. Just a quick note to say that uh, myself and some of my guests do tend to get a little potty mouthed at times. There are a few uh, profanities throughout this episode, so perhaps best if you are with youngsters or in need of listening to this quietly, then suggest finding some headphones or coming back a little bit later on. I hope you enjoy the episode and I look forward to hearing what you thought. Today's sponsors of the podcast are Bamboo Clothing. They're a clothing company who aim to bring environmentally sustainable products to a market of continued fast throwaway fashion. They are working towards a zero carbon footprint by the year 2030, but also aiming to address every impact they have on the planet. From ensuring the entire supply chain they use, from the growers to the seamstresses and seamers, think that must be what they were called, get fair pay and are treated with dignity. All the way to having a zero waste going to landfills, zero pollution and zero wasted water. Bamboo offer both men and women's active wear and casual daily clothes that are so damn soft and comfortable it's not even funny. Currently I'm sitting here wearing a pair of bamboo boxer shorts which are the most comfortable boxer shorts in the world pair of bamboo jeans and one of their jumpers I can honestly say I am comfortable <laughs> literally everything you could ever want clothing wise they basically sell and as someone who has pretty much spent the last 18 months wearing solely bamboo gear I should also say I am wearing bamboo socks I cannot recommend them highly enough if you go to the checkout and use the code WIBS15, you'll get a 15% off your order. They also offer free delivery on orders over £50. And there is a free returns and exchange policy too. So go get some gear. Get it on. Get on your mat. Tag me in your Insta post along with Bamboo. And use the hashtag MyBamKit. So remember, WIBS15 for 15% off. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the very first proper episode of Move, Breathe, Live with me, Wib Yoga. Um, there'll be times, as we see, if you've listened to the first episode, when my wife Jenny will be joining me, but for today, it's just me and my good friend, Robert Ehrenbrand, who is a yoga teacher and movement teacher, a martial artist and musician from Germany. He was pretty much the inspiration behind starting this whole podcast in the first place. Um, having followed him for the best part now of 16 to 17 years from his work in Boy Sets Fire, a hardcore band who was one of my favourites, um, via the world of social media it has just come out that we are both yoga teachers, we both have a very similar take on the ideas of how yoga can and perhaps could be used to benefit and further our own health and, well, performance, if you like, just general day-to-day -day living. I absolutely love this episode. It was an absolute blast. I feel so lucky that somehow this wonders of social media, which in so many ways can be uh, not the best, 
has allowed me to get to talk to some of people who are in some of my favourite bands in the world ever, which is just, it's a little bit of teenage wibs getting a bit of a, um, yeah, getting a bit starstruck. So I really hope you'll enjoy this episode. Uh, Rob and I dive into all sorts of really cool things in and around yoga. We touch on um, movement and health and kind of kids and dogs and (laughs) you name it, um, it gets brought up. So I really hope you'll enjoy this episode. I'm so excited for you to hear it. Please go and like and share and comment and subscribe to all of those places where you might hear this. Uh, The more you guys can help me out spreading the word, um, the more easier it is for me to continue to do them, to hopefully bring you bigger and better um, guests. Not that they can be better than Rob, because he's literally one of the main people I've ever wanted to talk to about this, but you know what I mean. Um, So yeah, please like, share, comment, subscribe, all of that jazz. And just a quick note to say that I've been super lucky that uh, Rob and his wife have a musical little platform called the Satnam Sessions and they have been really kind to gift me the use of one of the songs as the musical interlude um, for my podcast. If you hang around at the end, there will be the full song that you can listen to. I think it's about five minutes That is just beautiful um, mantra meditation music that you can sit and just chill out to. So make the most of that, enjoy it, and I will see you on the other side. Yeah, like Dexter, when I'm doing, if I'm doing like a... I don't know, like Janice Shishasana or something like that. He just comes in and he always seems to know quite how far up my leg to sit. So just give mm-hmm. me this really gentle, like, assist without it ever being, like, <laughs> strong over-the-top assist. It's fucking crazy. Well, um, you know, the, the, in India, they say sometimes already um, enlightened beings choose to come back, you know? So yeah. it's a choice. So maybe, who knows, maybe Dexter returned with a purpose to help you along or see that in your family everything's in order but it seems like it was a it was a conscious choice on his he's, on he's his part yeah i think that's probably true and all oh look at him <laughs> amazing that is a that is a relaxed big fucking dog right there that i love it a relaxed big fucking dog that is exactly I have to, what it is i have to make a screenshot for my daughter later all right i did that that's very good this is amazing <laughs> um so yeah, like thanks so much for doing this, man. Like, like I can say, like, this is you're you're kind of literally. Uh, I'm probably I'll probably just like start now, and we we'll just chatting because like I think sure. that's fine by me. Um, like you're kind of the guy who made me kind of want to do this because I was reading one of your posts a while back, and it was um, you were talking about like your satnam sessions, which we'll come on to in a bit. But um, sorry, I think he wants to go out. Um, for those of you who are just listening, Doug's in the room with me, and he's uh, being doesn't know what he wants to do. Apparently, he wants to stay. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was kind of around your satnam sessions, which is obviously to do with your kind of mantra work and things, um, right? But it you basically posted about how 
you know, you, you didn't really care what people's perception of like what yoga, inverted commas, should be, whether or not like you stick to this practice or, you know, you take bits from this and that and this and you put it all together. And when I, that's like me, basically, like through and through. Um, and when I read it, I was just kind of like, uh, like, I just felt, so, I mean, I, obviously we've got a fairly um, long history well obviously I, I haven't got a long history of knowing you but like our I think our kind of backgrounds are pretty similar right and um <clears throat> but when I read that I was like I felt such like a a chiming of I don't know just it, it was kind of like it just really rang the bell of like yes that's I, I want to talk to you about this stuff because right <clears throat> it, it seems to me that you know fuck knows what yoga is these days like I mean you know yoga is always going to be fine but quite how it looks and what is expected of it these days i'm not i kind of struggle with sometimes um and yeah when i read that i was like i really want to chat to rob about that because i just think it would be really cool from someone who you know has been in as deep of the practice as you have been for a while to really kind of go into it and now yeah you also kind of you know inspired me to talk to you because I've kind of been the theme through a lot of these chats has been like punk rock hardcore and stuff like mm. that. Um, because obviously I grew up a punk rock kid, like a hardcore kid. Um, and you know, there's people like yourself and people like Raghunath and, you know, you've kind of got this whole punk rock yoga community thing, which seem so like poles apart to people on the outside. <laughs> And, and yet really, like to me, like they've always felt, you know, as soon as I got into yoga, it kind of felt like, oh yeah, this is kind of pretty, pretty fucking punk. Do you know what I mean? Like it just, it didn't really feel too much different. And, um, and I really wanted to then kind of discuss that with you as well a little bit, because right. I feel, you know, to me, it feels like people listen to my music and stuff. And, you know, I work with the, like a, my local football club, Ipswich Town Football Club, you know, and I've occasionally put on some of my music when they've been like, oh yeah, you pick some music bit. And I put it on and they, you know, they're like, what the fuck is this? Like this. <laughs> and, and, you know, they're like, you're supposed to be into yoga, aren't you supposed to be into like, you know, oming and chanting and stuff. Right. And, um, and yeah, so it's kind of like, it just really like this whole thing of like punk rock and yoga and like, you know, the journey that you've been on from, you know, I know a little bit about your history, which I'm going to dive into with you in a minute. But, you know, from being fairly young and martial arts and stuff through growing up as a punk kid and then like still being that same person. But, you know, having this whole kind of spiritual background, too. And, you know, for me growing up, I kind of remember Raghunath and I, I was big into Youth of Today. Mm. and then shelter i didn't really get the krishna core thing to begin with but like now it's you know the last 10 15 years it's been massive for me right and so you know did what came first for you really was it like the discipline of martial arts and then kind of the the freedom of punk rock or was it like you were punk kid and then actually you found martial arts was like this thing to kind of train you in and how did that lead on to yoga Right. Well, before we start, Rips, thanks for having me. Um, I really, really appreciate it. I um, 
been following your work for quite some time now uh, via social media. And I really appreciate everything you and your beautiful wife put out there and your three dogs. <laughs> yeah. um, I think there's a, there's a great uh, yogic family going on that I really appreciate. And that, uh, so when you asked me to, to jump on here and, and talk about exactly these things that you mentioned, it's, a, it's really an honor. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, as far as your question goes, for me, it was pretty atypical in a lot of ways how I dove into yoga as a journey. Um, I started, as you mentioned, uh, pretty early with martial arts. I started with full contact karate at the age of seven. And that was around the same time that I also discovered that certain songs on the radio made me feel a certain way. Up until seven, I was like most kids, I was into, you know, detective stories and stuff, music hadn't really been played a big part. I don't come from a musical family, nothing like that. So I, uh, I listened to certain songs on the radio and noticed some of them get me going and some of them make me sad. So at the same time, movement in the form of martial arts and um, my lifelong passion for sound, for music, they came at the same time. And yoga came a little bit later. And like you said, it was um, through some of these bands that you mentioned that I, as a pretty early, maybe around 14, 15, I discovered my very first introduction to the word yoga was mantra meditation, right? Which is to this day, you mentioned the Satnam sessions, the, the musical project I do with my wife, Mitali. Um, that is till this day, the core of my yogic practice. Other things came along for the ride, but my very first encounter with yoga, and this is important to understand when you wanna understand my story a little bit, uh, it had nothing to do with movement at all. So it was mantra meditation that I picked up really quickly as something where I could just like the songs when I was seven made me feel a certain way as a 15 year old amidst all the turmoil of a adolescence of, an, of a teenager, I realized with mantra meditation, I could to some extent calm the waves of a teenage lifestyle. And so yeah, I, yeah. Was, I was hooked and I started to read, you know, everything that I could get my hands on. And I'm very, very old. So <laughs> I, I, just, I, just, I just turned 43. So bear in mind, this is before the internet. So yeah. I, you know, I grew up in a small village in Bavaria, close to Munich. And so there was no, no one in our village was vegetarian. <laughs> yeah. So I was the first one, right? So I checked off all the like yogic boxes, but never for years had I ever any inclination to move into the movement-based practice that now we in the West, you See, shouldn't, yeah. but if you would Google yoga, I, I don't advise it, but if you do it, <laughs> then you get a very one-sided picture. You see a lot of very, you know, fit people bending like Bavarian pretzels and stuff. And I'm not against that, but just understand that my path was completely different. So I had my movement practice, which was martial arts and running and all, you know, movement. And yeah, then yeah. I had my yoga practice, which was reading the Bhagavad Gita and, and getting into the, you know, books like Autobiography of a, of a Yogi, Yogi by, yeah. um, by Yogananda and all that kind of stuff. So for me, for a long time, yoga was 
strictly my, yeah, well, for the lack of a better term, my spiritual practice kind of thing, like my way to reset my nervous system and martial arts was the movement arm of that. And so if you would have asked me with 15 years old, Robert, are you a yogi? I would have said, sure enough. And then you would have mentioned a down dog and I wouldn't have known what that is. So, and then through martial arts and to make a very long and boring story short, I had so many neck issues through hard sparring and and just years and years of, of, you know, getting hit in the head basically, or kicked in the head. So Um, were you all karate at that point or did you, have you? It it was the normal progression whips that that one does. It was like karate Karate, and then taekwondo and yeah. then kickboxing, and then it moved, it, it kind of swerved into, yeah, exactly. So it, I, I had neck injuries. And then I, I, I realized, wait a second, I've been doing this yoga practice for like 10 years or 15 years. There is movement systems that are called yoga as well. So I started to incorporate some asanas, some, and, and kind of healed my, my neck injuries got my posture straight, got into breathing. And then the whole yoga journey that started with bhakti yoga. So the yoga of devotion where mantra, um, as you know, where where mantra uh, meditation is is one of the biggest parts. Um, So it morphed into a very, very uh, high interest of other forms of yoga, kundalini yoga that I love. But one thing, and I wanted to come back to something really interesting that you said earlier, Vips, as, as the introduction was going on. You said that um, people always, well, you didn't say that, but that's how I took it. In yoga, kind of like in music, people are so obsessed with lineages, right? People mm-hmm. are always dividing. They're always dividing. And yoga, to me, to break it down, it means union, right? Yeah. That's what the word means, to yoke, to bring together. And then what happens in a scene, you divide, you know, okay, this is the Chiva Mukti dude over there and he's suspect and the Kundalini dude is certainly suspect. And over there is the guy from, oh, he's a Sai Baba guy, and all that kind of stuff. So, so you have that in the spiritual realm and you even have it in the movement realm. And I honestly, even as a teenager, I always understood it as a non-sectarian and an all-encompassing force that if I could somehow awaken my own intuition that I would benefit and others around me would benefit too. And then I started to experiment with dogma and orthodox leanings. And I grew up around a, more of a temple based, more of like a, you know, the, I, I grew up around the, the Hare Krishna movement and that kind of stuff. And I realized some of those things vegetarian diet, um, the Bhagavad Gita, they were a lifelong passion grew out of that. And I'll always be thankful for it. But I also chose at a young age to let certain aspects of that practice go to make room for my very specific journey. And that's why I'm big on seeking and staying open and never committing to a certain, I'm not this or that, I'm a yogi. And I'm a musician and I'm a father. So there are certain labels you can pin on me. If you do need them, that's another thing, but that is all true. But I don't want to claim or rap for any one style because what happens if around the next corner, I make a beautiful um, 
exploration of some sort of practice that I haven't yet incorporated. Do I not do it because I'm of this or that? No, it's 2021. We have one big thing going on and that is getting ourselves back a certain mental and physical symmetry and both go hand in hand, as you know. So we have movement, we have meditation, we have breath work. We use what we can to reset our inner teacher, if you will. And that was always my journey. So my understanding of yoga has always been pretty tolerant, if you will. And I I will never let that go because there's too much division as is in all parts of life anyhow. So we certainly don't need to make a practice that is about union. Uh, We certainly don't need divide and... uh, gossip and um you know uh, arguments there i just don't see how this could be beneficial no i've kind of always you know i i you know from my nursing background from a, a you know a fairly long-standing background you know sciencey type side of things has always been and so the idea of constantly being open to there being you know something which is held is like yeah this is fact and then there being a, actually, that's not the case at all. And, and, you know, being able to be open to that change to me has always been like huge. And I think, um, you know, when I, when I came into yoga and things that I've been practicing now for 15, 16 years, I guess. And, um, and, you know, it very much started as, as an asana thing, like really, mm-hmm. and it was kind of strict asana, like Ashtanga, basically. Mm-hmm. And the more I practiced, you know, I kind of got to the stage where, for one, I felt my body breaking down. Mm. Um, and I just, after a while, I, and it, it, it was kind of really when I, you know, I, I had this practice of physical asana, but also like meditation as well. And when I went and did my training over in India, all of a sudden I was doing Ashtanga six days a week and I, and I felt broken. And I was kind mm-hmm. of, I never realized quite how much like this practice I had, which never really hurt and actually felt pretty good all of a sudden doing it too much was just too much and uh you know I was super fortunate I had a my teacher in India a guy called um Bupendra. now he is as close to a, an enlightened being as I've ever met anyone he's just this happy smiley like constantly giggling and like uh, you know I love him to bits um and I went out there thinking I'm going to be all about uh, asana. I'm going to be able to like, handstand and do all the you know, pincher and all this shit. And within like two weeks of sitting with him, when we dive deep into you know kriyas and um, and pranayamas and mm. meditations, all of a sudden I was like, I not I've got no in, not that I didn't have any interest in the in the physical side, but you know I can no, do loads of I can do loads yeah. of jazzy stuff. And I just got yeah. to the stage was like it when when I was that in depth with this guy who really knew what he was doing and, you know, he spent the last 30 years practicing. I was just like, this is it for me. And, you know, for me, like, you know, you've kind of said about your satnam sessions, which we'll come on to in a bit, but for me, my own practice at home, like the, the, the movement side is weird and one, and it changes week in, week out as to rolling around on the floor, strict asking the practice, you know, it's just, how can I, tune into my body and, and it, I use different things at different times but really like for me the the mantra work is kind of 
is key. And so for me, I, you know, studied the Manduka, Manduka Upanishad um, mm-hmm. when I was in India. So I kind of, you know, on meditation and mantra chanting for me is my go-to thing. Although I do love, you know, numerous other um, mantra chants and work as well. Um, you said, you know, at the beginning, it was about the age of 15 through some of those bands. So was it through, you know, Shelter or any of those bands that you kind of first started hearing about, you know, because, I mean, it probably would have been, it wouldn't have been probably that first, that, um, oh, what's it called? Um, whichever, the one which has got... Um, Attaining the Supreme? You, you, yeah. you mean which, which Shelter record? Which Shelter album, which was, because it wouldn't have been... Um, it was so, mantra in my, in mantra, my yeah case. mantra yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say to me it was mantra too because yeah. it and starts it not, off it, with it yeah. starts off with that mantra with um yeah like the chanting doesn't it and then kicks Mes- into all about the Mes- yeah message of the Bhagavad was the song that made me a yogi completely and and you framed it very nicely you said was it those type of bands and the reality is a lot more sad it was just this one band <laughs> yeah yeah well, for me, <laughs> I, too, I, I I heard um we had, you know, TV music shows back then. And one yeah. was Headbangers Ball on MTV. And so I would run home and, and watch Headbangers Ball. And for some reason, uh, they would have Shelter on there, which was not a heavy metal band in, in, in any way, but they were on there. And um, so I heard, I saw these Bhakti monks kickboxing through a video and doing backflips and stuff. And the former... And by former, I mean a minute ago, heavy metal village kid that I was, was dead. And the next minute I was like, I want to have what these guys have. <laughs> they sound, so, and, and funny enough, now me and, and Raghunath and Paramananda are good friends. And uh, Amazing. I even got asked to join the shelter reunion shows uh, a while back, which was Amazing. a really big honor. I couldn't, sadly, <clears throat> wasn't able to logistically wing it and and do it but it it, they are really tremendous people till this day people i respect and admire and it was absolutely through their passion um that they shared yoga because honestly whips if i would have as a i don't know how old i was 15 something like that and um i'm really bad with numbers math is not my strong suit so i was young right i was young in a small village that's all you need to know and message of the Bhagavad came on with the chants from the Upanishads. And, and it was like, holy shit, I want what those guys have. And, you know, they were, then I found out they're also martial artists. And yeah. then I found out, okay, they're vegetarian. So my reason for going vegetarian, I would love to have a story like my daughter, who's, you know, turned vegetarian or my wife. They both turned vegetarian as kids. Um, my wife, Mitali, um, turned vegetarian, I don't know, at like 10 years old, because she said, this is not right. I'm not, you know, and granted her father is from India. Um, so vegetarianism was a little bit more up for debate than for a small town village boy yeah. like myself. <laughs> yeah. However, my pure reason was, well, shelter are vegetarian. So I got to be vegetarian like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and Raghunath and Paramananda know this. Uh, they, so they know that they were my introduction to yoga. But then it took on a life of its own pretty quickly. So I went to look for temples and I went to look for, like I said, all kinds of books about yoga that I could find. 
if I ran into anyone who had any bit of knowledge, I would pester that person with questions. And, uh, you know, I would drive temple presidents, uh, presidents uh, insane with questions. It's like, listen, listen. I, and so... It so did you of, have temples in, in Germany that you visited? Or was this like... I, yeah, I had a temple in... Uh, there was a Munich uh, Hare Krishna temple that I started going to and started, you know, uh, reading a lot about the... the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, who has a very specific bhakti. Where it's called Gaudiya Vaishnavism for someone who, who's interested in, in the more depth of, of that lineage. Um, comes back to a saint from India who is very highly respected where my father-in-law, who was my biggest influence, um, who died unfortunately two years ago, who's actually mm -hmm. also the real musician in our family. His name was Shankar Lal, is Mithali's father, and he's from Bengal. And um, the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, which Shelter at the time were part of, um, they based their teachings on a saint uh, from the 1500s called Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who started the Sankirtan movement. So the singing of the holy name was kind of resurrected in India through him. So disregarding any like, you know, um, clubs or religions and stuff, he was a very, very inspirational man. So I took to his message of, of mantra meditation, like we said earlier, right away. And then I started to explore and I went to, you know, different temples and whatever I could find really, and kind of built my own empire of the soul, if you will, yeah. um, with, with many different things, but to start with shelter for sure. And I, I'll be always very, very grateful to that mantra record because it really turned my life upside down in the best way possible and I never looked back. It also was a just a banging record like such a great like it know, was like some it is you know yeah <laughs> it, kicks, it kicks off with like you know measures of Bhagavad and then it kind of goes into you know you've kind of got you know just almost straight up pop punk it's, yes. oh, it's just it's just brilliant and like just such positive messages throughout do you know what right. I mean it's it's just amazing. Um, so yeah, I kind of for me it was similar. I, I, you know, I definitely didn't go into. You know, I remember hearing that record and and just and not really listening to the lyrics as such type thing. Just loving like the album, and then um, and just this. I just remember being like Krishna core. Like I don't really, I don't really get that. Like how does how does like how does like you know? Because in my head at that time, it's about like. Do you know I mean, I, I don't, I just remember some people saying like, you know, Harry Krishna's are the kind of the crazy weird guys who walk around in yellow robes and have got their head shaved and, you know, do you know what I mean? They're all singing and they've just, they've all swallowed the, uh, they've all had the Kool-Aid and stuff like that. Right. Um, and I just remember, I don't like how, like, how is like this punk rock guy who's like been in like youth today and like kind of changed music in so many ways. He's now like a Krishna guy. Like, yeah. What? Um, and then, yeah, so then, like, later in life, all of a sudden, going back to those records, I was just a bit like, whoa, like, if I'd been listening to this, if I'd actually been listening, do you know what I mean? Like, hearing, you well, know, I, it, it would be, you know, we're all on our journeys and we all kind of pick up yes. when we need to, do you know what I mean? Yes. It's kind of, it's always, it, my wife and I talk about it and you can, there'll be stuff which happens and you, you don't pay any attention. And 10 years later, the same thing comes around again. You just kind of like, it really hits you suddenly. That's which right. Is wonderful thing about this yoga practice really, isn't it? Cause you can, 
you can repeat something a million times, whether it be mantra or whatever. And well, at at the end of the day, it's it's, it's self exploration is what it yeah. is. It's it's not self realization because let's face it, you know, in the yoga scene, we have to be a little careful sometimes to not get ahead of ourselves. You know, I hear people talk about enlightenment and all that kind of stuff, and while. I do strongly believe there are enlightened beings like maybe your dog Dexter on this planet. I don't think that's our main point of concern. You know, the I yoga scene, agree. like any scene has a lot of drama and bullshit attached to it. And I chose at a very early age to not pay any attention to it. Just like I did with division. For me, yeah. anyone that I could learn from, be it a Sikh or an atheist practitioner of asana, or a temple president of the ISKCON society. They were all for me, because I always refer back to one of my favorite books of all times is the Bhagavad Gita, right? That kind of came into my life through shelter, like all of these things at, at an early stage. And the Bhagavad Gita says, you know, equal vision, just look straight ahead. And I could really, really work with that. That really yeah. gave me a perspective of like, well, I'm neither more important nor am I less important. I'm just part and parcel of a grand scheme that I might not understand, but I want to do my part. I want to, like you said so beautifully, I want to evolve. I want to explore. And I think all we can do is at the end of the day, represent our practice. That's yeah. it. As sometimes teachers here in Germany come to me and my classes. I'm very fortunate that they're very, when we're not on lockdown, you know, there's a lot of people interested in that self-exploration process. So some people refer to my classes as the Manchester rave incarnation of a yoga class. There's a lot of like, it's not about me doing something crazy that you'll never be able to do. That's not what I'm about. However, and please don't take this the wrong way, Rips, the, I'm never ever discrediting any lineage, any part, I think Ashtanga yoga is a beautiful practice. Yeah, I wouldn't no. choose it for myself because my body would break down eventually like yours did. So I can relate to that. But essentially, it's what you said, that we're on our own very specific. And if you think about it, not only very specific, but wonderful, unique journey. And all that we can do as teachers, as human beings, is to offer some sort of practice that worked for us and offers as a service to others. That doesn't mean that you have to offer it for free. That doesn't mean anything. It just means you cannot and will not represent anything that you haven't experienced. And that's yes. the problem that I have with religion. I have a great respect for all the religious texts and all the religious, you know, it, essentially some, to me, it seems like they all start from a very common ground and then you get into semantics, into details. And then of course, uh, some, a Sikh can't hang out with a Hindu anymore because there's too many. I don't, I just don't want to celebrate differences. I want to celebrate what we all share. And what we all share is we all have a nervous system that is under attack in these days, especially. We all have a common goal that is to hand our children a world that is still worthwhile living in. That means a, a, a yogi shouldn't have to be told that he that the environment is important because yoga means union. So the environment, we're part of it, right? Yeah. So I just think that 
it is all about an inner process and, and technologies that allow us to explore ourselves. And what I want to bring onto my mat when I sit down for my daily practice is I want to use the parts and parcels that I have. Like I said, breath, movement, doesn't even have to be heart movement, just movement, spine activation and yeah. stuff like that. And then I want to have set my energy straight. And that's why mantra meditation comes in since you so kindly mentioned it. That's why that is a part of my offering of my seva is the mantras that made a difference in my life um, in conjunction with my wife. That is part of our practice is to yeah. sing them with people is to record them so people can meditate to them. And um, so to me, it's all about seeking for a higher frequency within ourselves. And that started uh, yeah, with 14, 15 years old, and it has not stopped and I will not stop, you know, until I leave this body, I will look for quality for adventure. And if I don't recalibrate myself, energetically speaking on my mat, then how can I expect that I am the right energy in challenging situations? I cannot, this is, you will not have the needed smile that you need for like any challenge. If you yeah. don't, condition yourself to face challenges. So whatever we do on our mats, it should be with a sense of seeking exploration and with a sense of uh, um, adventure. And I think you beautifully said it about your teacher in India. How do you really recognize if someone is on the right track? Because I've seen some miserable people claiming <laughs> yoga, claiming meditation. I have no interest in it. I will never ever mention names because I'm not into that. Yeah. But I've seen it and it turned me off. You will see it in the smile of a person, how much Absolutely. joy. And that doesn't mean that they always have to be just smiling. Don't get me no. wrong. But it means you look in someone's eye and you see if they have a practice, practice that works for them. And that is all they could ever teach. And that's all I would ever want to know. What Probably. works for you? And then yeah. I'll, I disregard what I can't use. And that is never meant as an insult. It's just like Bruce Lee said, use what you can and disregard what you, what you can. And as a martial artist, I, of course, have to follow Bruce Lee's advice Obviously, at all every, times. Everyone's so, got <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I think that's the beautiful thing about it. It's self-exploration. It's, it's being more adventurous today than we have been a couple of years ago. And in a couple of years, if we're granted that time on this crazy planet, then um, hopefully we'll be even more adventurous. More adventurous. And, yeah. and, and I think that's the path. It's, yeah, to me, I've been um, uh, reading and listening to Stephen Batchelor. I don't know if you've come across him before. He's like an English yes. guy. So he's of like course. The, yep. the atheist Buddhist type thing. Yes. Um, and, uh, and to me, it was, it was, when was it? A couple of years ago, I first started reading him. Um, but to me, it was kind of a real eye-opener because I, I, while I've kind of, I know the, you know the basic tenets of um of buddhism and you know as everyone kind of does i've never i've never really dived into any real buddhist practices outside yeah but read it like for me like reading because as you kind of alluded to like in yoga it can be you know if you i love you know the the guidance and stuff that things like the sutras give us but if you take it all like which you know whether people really do take it all seriously into heart, I'm not sure. When you start getting into like book four, 
it starts to be getting some pretty crazy shit happening and like you know you can <laughs> you can learn to like levitate and all sorts of stuff um but you know when you know listening to Stephen Batchel talking about going back to the original text and going back to like you know trying to trace this lineage or the these true lessons which are actually written down about what perhaps the Buddha actually said and you realize like you know when he talks about this middle path it's like this middle path is really what we need more than ever these days right it's like this place he, he talks he doesn't talk about levitation a whole lot no, no, <laughs> let me not tell you that now. and but now it's, it's, and, it's you know he doesn't even talk hugely from what i've kind of read of stephen bachelor you know there's not even masses of talk about like liberation or of you know it's mm -mm. it's basically how can i be the best person within me right now and i it kind of that reminds me of uh, what appendra told me little told us my first or second day my teacher sitting around in our little circle with him sitting in front of us in all his whites and you know he said what is it to be spiritual what is a spiritual you know what is being spiritual and you know and people threw out ideas and whatever else and he was like being spiritual is being as true is being as close to your true self as you can possibly be that is to be spiritual and that's always and, stuck with me. Do you know what I mean? It's like, how can my journey is constantly, how can I unpack all this stuff which life has put on me, you know, my experiences put on me and which can easily drive you into this place of anxieties and stresses and whatever else. And how can I use my practice of meditation, of mantra, of asana, of, you know, walking my dogs and, you know, whatever it might be, music, punk rock, definitely, but like, how can I use those things to like unpack and like and get closer to that inner flame, if you like, of that, what is that's me? it? That's it. And and you said it beautifully, brother. That's exactly it. It's about how do I leave situations in my life a little bit better before I appeared? You know, that's how I would frame it. It's like I love that, that yeah. is our we don't need to talk about enlightenment and all this kind of crazy shit because. At the end of the day, that's just another crutch, another can of worms that we open to not face ourselves. Essentially, I think the truth is a lot simpler and at the same time, a lot harder to do. Because yeah. if, you, if you break it down, it's a mixture always. In my upcoming book, I explain it to people like this. I call it because in Germany, all words are, are those words that I'm going to mention start with a D. So I call it the 3D plan. It's like a triangle. You need discipline to get anything done, right? But then yeah. you also need, if discipline is the motor that keeps us on the road going forward to becoming a person, like you said, that is more engaged, more willing to be tolerant, more strong in the most positive sense of the word. Well, if discipline is the motor, willpower, steadiness, showing up, not giving up, that is one part. But think about a person who's only thriving on these things. That person will burn out eventually. Yeah. Because like you mentioned so kindly, the Buddha, the middle path, it's a wonderful idea. Because, and I don't need to be Buddhist. That's what I meant earlier. By the way, it's really important. Sometimes people come to me and they are from a specific lineage. And they say, well, Robert, it's all fine and dandy what you say, but I think then I'll end up not knowing any path at all if I always yeah. kind of throw together. Well, let me put it like this. 
all I want is for people to feel more inner freedom through their practice. So if your practice is one person, one guru, and that's it, then that's totally fine with me. The only thing I would ask you to kindly is give me the freedom to explore my own path, like you said, and that might involve a couple more teachers, a couple of more lineages that I intertwine. So I'm a living amalgamation of a couple of different paths, right? A, yeah. m- part of my family comes from Bengal. So uh, the, the saint from my family was Sri Ramakrishna. He's an a f- amazing saint. So if anyone who's listening to this wants a real kick out of a rebel yogi, just Google Sri Ramakrishna. He was a Bengal saint. He lived outside of Kolkata, where my father-in-law came from. And he was known for going through different sadhanas. His main thing was the goddess Kali. Um, but he had different sadhanas. One, he was dressed like a Muslim for a while and did all the Muslim prayers. And then he was dressed like this. So he went through. The, and for me, as the seeker that I am, that kind of gives me a huge kick. Like, yeah. Because it's so wild and so frantic. And so, but if anyone else, like I went on a Buddhist retreat once for, it was the whole summer because I wanted to learn everything about a specific Buddhist meditation. Um, And I loved it, but it didn't make its way into my daily practice. But the funny thing is, Whips, it made its way into my life because I remember it at the right time. And then I just go back to it, but it's not become... It didn't turn me into a Buddhist and it has not become something that I do daily, but I always treasure what I learned. Those teachings. This great, those teachings. And I have the utmost respect. And as you know, the Buddha is just, not just, but the Buddha is considered an avatar in India of Vishnu. So it comes back anyway. And by the way, if you look at the avatar list of Vishnu, it represents the evolution. It's basically what it is. It starts with a fish and then you go on land and then, you know, so it's all interconnected anyway. And I think that it's important for people who feel like they found their one true thing. That's great. Yeah. But please make sure that one thing makes you laugh more, makes you more tolerant. If that one thing makes you judge other people and you lose that equal vision that we talked about, then you might consider looking into other things as well, because yeah. then you have a stick up your ass. And what we don't need <laughs> is in a world full of tense people. What we don't need is people getting tense for one more thing. And that thing is spirituality. If totally. your spirituality or your religion or whatever you choose to do, your atheism for that matter. I, can't, I know very tense atheists. Yeah. You should look oh. into letting that go. So totally. our practice should be about letting go of and I, and I tell you one thing, Whips, what's interesting to me is, well, I have this book coming up, right? And it's called, yeah. in German, it's called a, a Seeker's Code or uh, The Power of Seeking. Because it's kind of based on what I've just, you know, of, of what we're talking about, yeah. you know, different inspirations. I don't like the word religion much, but I love the word inspiration. But then you have to kind of make it your own. How do you do that? Through self-exploration. So that's kind of the tenant of the book. But what I am in a weird situation, because I think on the one hand, I would love it if people picked up the book and got something out of it. That's why I wrote it, right? But on the other hand, I do feel like we're so bombarded with a conditioning that always suggests we lack something in the wellness and self-care world, 
right? Mm -hmm. There's always like one more technique that you need to do, one more teacher training that you need to do, one more this, one more that. When in essence, we suffer from having too much, too much thought. Mm -hmm. That's called psychological ailments. We suffer from too much food with not enough nutrition. That's called obesity and huge problems, diabetes and all that kind of stuff. So we suffer from too much, too much thoughts, too much food, too much information. We suffer from too much diet plans, from too much workout methodology. Methods. We yeah, suffer yeah. from too much. So what we need, I think, is to strengthen what I call the inner teacher, or you can call it intuition or whatever the fuck you want. We need to strengthen that to start from a strong point. The martial artists will call it chi from yeah. like, you know, third chakra shit where it's like, I feel this. Yeah. And you know what? I choose to let it go. And that is what we truly need. I think the Buddha got asked once, this is a funny story that ties in well. The Buddha got asked once by someone who wanted to challenge him. And they asked him in India back in the day, so what did you gain from all your practice and all your meditation? And the Buddha looked that person straight in the eye. So I, I'm guessing he had a sense of humor, which in my case makes him an even greater yogi. <laughs> yeah, totally. and, and he said, he said the following, he said, I gained nothing. And the person was like, see? And then the Buddha said, well, I did lose, however, fear of death, anxiety, depression. And he went on a whole list of what he lost. And that, when I heard that, many years ago that resonated with me because yeah, I'm man. all about in my, in my yoga, if you want to call them that even in my sessions with people, I think it's a lot more about letting go than about gaining some complex technology that I will take 20 years, uh, one finger handstand or something. I'm not against that stuff. It's just not what I teach, but I think what I can teach and what I do teach is, that somehow each movement or each breath incorporate a new beginning and letting go. You know, yeah. like breathing in, you can restart a whole day with a proper inhale and you can let shit go with an exhale, but you need to condition yourself. And, and so I like, sorry. And I just think that it's those main principles that should be, you know, I think it's not, some people always ask me like, Robert, what is the best meditation? What is the best pranayama? And you know what the answer is always? The one you do. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I, kind I, have, of no other, I have no other answer. I, it, it might be something that I don't even know about. I'm sure you have so much technology that I could benefit from. But at the end of the day, it will always be just inspiration if you do it. If, it wanna, if I want to change myself, I need to incorporate it and, and then we're talking about a practice and that's it. And that's why, I mean, I've literally been on a, on a call this morning for a lady. Uh, I do a lot of breath work with people mm. for like anxiety, you know, just, just general sports performance, whatever else. But this lady kind of trying to, uh, you know, improve her kind of panic disorders mm -hmm. for want of a better word. And, you know, she's got to go to hospital and hates hospitals and all sorts. Um, and, you know, I was saying, you know, there's all these different techniques where we can bow up. And then, you know, we, we broke it down. We tried a few different things. And basically we found this, what, you know, I just got her to just an even in, even out breath, three and three. There you go. There you and go. You know, you know, we were doing some other different jazzy techniques, which, you know, 
you know, from some of my trainings and whatever, you know, in and around breath. Oh, no, this is what you need to be doing with people. This is like, it was near enough pushing their own, you know, I didn't even do what that was, but you know, what I, what you should do inverted commas wasn't going to work for it because it, it just wasn't her, her body wasn't there. She couldn't no. do it. Like her mind wasn't there. I gave her something super simple of like, can you breathe in and out for three seconds each way and just relax your jaw, relax your, and you, and you know, we finished five minutes of that. And I said, how do you feel? She's like, I felt like I could have gone to sleep. It felt amazing. She was like, you know, there you go. And you gotta go, well, you know, all of these tools, they're only as good if you can actually implement them. And That's it. You, you, you know, doing one handed handstands and stuff like if that works in your practice to, center yourself to, to, to be purely there like if i try and handstand i fucking hate handstands because i'm shit at them and they annoy the crap out of me and i get really frustrated and it but then they're defeats. good for you because you can you bring yourself in a challenging situation and you can observe like oh. the buddhists say the witness you can be whips outer body and can be like, oh, look at me getting annoyed at the handstand again. Then it's a worthwhile part of your practice. But then totally. all your practice shouldn't be like that because then you kind of stop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. have practices then. So it's a, it's, but it's, that's a beautiful example. I, I think that um, I also, I want to give appreciation to your post of maybe today um, where you said, well, not all breath work is, is good in, in all amounts. I think that ties in what you wrote so beautifully on Instagram about people overdoing pranayama. I mm. think that goes back to what I tried to say with letting go. If you always feel like what we need to understand as yogis is more is not better. I know. Exactly. However, however, there's one thing that I found in my life that more is better. And that is mantra meditation because yes. I had not yet, come to a point where I'm like, no, this was enough. This is ridiculous. This mantra made me feel so good. I really shouldn't do it. <laughs> but, any, but anything else, Wibs, movement. Of course you can overdo movement. I work with people all the time who come from the local CrossFit gym and they were thrown into snatches when they hadn't done a proper push-up yet or in yoga. I mean, let's face it. It's a taboo. No one wants to talk about it. A lot of people get hurt doing YouTube yoga, trying yeah. to get their head to somewhere. And, and it's all that Western conditioning. And, and it's in India too, of course. Like it's, oh, yeah. it's our human, it's like Richard Ashcroft said, it's our human condition to some extent that we always find some sort of core truth and turn it into an, a threatening missile of yes. a... Of, of, a, of a practice that doesn't work because all at the end of the day look more pranayama is not better you can go no. crazy doing pranayama people you I mean, know I, it, it, i've literally had friends who who have like i didn't write it in the post but i've literally had friends who have like for want of a better word like blown their fuse doing like yeah pranayamas and like you know ended up being in bad mental states because of it um no you and, should it's the middle and, path it's the middle right. path. And, you know, and unfortunately, you know, it, you know, I, I like going and jumping in icy pools and stuff like that, which is all the rage these days, I know. But like, um, you know, around the breathwork that goes with it, you know, and I, I don't disagree with like some of Wim Hof's stuff, let's mm. say, by any means. You know, that's all. People have been doing those practices for like 
3,000 plus years. So there can't be something yeah. bad about them. But no. And again, maybe this is our Western mindset more than other places, perhaps. But like, it's the, I want it now. I want it yeah. now. I want it, it now. And no and there's no adaptation. Up. No adaptation. And, and you know, that is the perfect example. I don't, I think Wim Hof is beautiful. And he's a yogi, by the way, yeah, a great yogi. Totally, yeah. he, he, could do, he could do all the postures in the past, but you know what? He chose to let go what is not his current practice anymore. So yeah. I'm all, without knowing the man, I'm all for it. By the way, the Wim Hof method, without giving anything away, spoiler alert, is very simple, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's deep breathing and kumbak in between. Beautiful. I love it. However, I think that we tend to, as a society, it's exactly what you said. We tend to look for the shortcut and for the quick fix. And guess what? No diet, nor no breath work or movement that is not sustainable will benefit you in the end. You will end up, you know, like you said, blowing one fuse after another, be it a physical fuse, be it a mental fuse. At the end of the day, I think it's important that we sometimes remember, like you said, the Buddha's words, the middle road. Don't go crazy, like movement. Yes, you should move daily somehow, but that could mean a walk, right? Yes. Or, or that could mean rolling around on the floor with your dog or wife or both, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I think it's, we get so tense as a society and that unfortunately goes for the yoga scene as well, because it's part of society and um, really whips my big awakening uh, regarding yoga came when I was in India, because then I realized how fucking crazy India is and mm -hmm. in Bengal, in Bengal where, where parts of our family are from, like I said, I went to those temples and no one gave a fuck what religion I was. They were yeah. rubbing huge ling Shiva lingams, old ladies rubbing this, for someone maybe who's listening who doesn't know what a Shiva lingam is, it's basically <laughs> yeah. a, a big penis out of, Talk. you know, marble. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I was like, hell yeah, this is amazing. And, and, you know, in that moment, it was just like, it was just joy and adventure. And I'm not saying everything's better in India, don't get me wrong, it certainly no. isn't. However, it brought to me a yogic understanding that adventure and seeking and tolerance and being open for experience. And then always having that intuition, knowing when you're going too far, right? Like you said, with the Ashtanga practice, that doesn't make Ashtanga good or bad. No. This is all just neutral. This is like someone who would, uh, people always want to hear from me, like students of mine always want to hear like, because I don't drink alcohol, for example. They want to hear that I say alcohol is bad. I will never say such a thing. I don't know your life. Maybe a glass of wine is the most beautiful part of your day. Who am I to discredit that? Yeah. I'm just saying, I want your life, ideally, to be so adventurous through breath, through movement, through community, through family, through connection to nature, that alcohol is certainly, if it needs to be there at all, then it's just a cherry on top. Where Absolutely. you're like, you know what? I'm going to treat myself. I'm not going to do it. You can. And the thing is this. I want people to lose that tension that ruins everything. Because we've seen the most beautiful practices go horribly awry through tension, through division, through, you know, 
And then if you don't, I, I just don't see how tension in 2021 serves us. And that's why my big thing is use meditation if you want, but always observe that it makes you less tense because yeah. if it makes you more tense, then we have a problem and we may adjust. And I, for example, sometimes think we get so far ahead of ourselves with all our, you know, biohacking and all that bullshit where it's like, you know what? Learn how to sit first. Mm. Don't even think about meditation. Meditation has an agenda, right? You want to be pointed with your thoughts or, or, or transcend the thoughts. But why don't we start with go out into nature, find a nice pond or tree and just sit no yeah. meditation no nothing but get please don't look at your phone sit with yourself or listen to a song all the way through like we need to start people talk about enlightenment but they can't be with their without their phone for a minute there's a disconnect there we just need to start building up to the proper strength that then certain techniques require and that's cool and but i think like you rightfully said we need to be a bit more realistic what we're dealing with here in the year 2021 because in a time where mental instability is the number one cause for people to suffer, mm. I don't think enlightenment is our topic. I no. think our topic is resetting our presence. nervous system. Our topic is presence. Our topic is mental strength. And I think we should keep it real. And if the punk rock yogis can't keep it real, who can, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's like on that like punk rock idea, I guess, like, you know, you've spent, for those of you who don't know, so Robert Skur, I don't know, you must hang on. It was around 2005. Did you join Voice as Far in 2005-ish? Yeah, it was five? earlier even. Yeah, but it was yeah. 2000, uh, 2003. Three, yep. okay. Uh, mm. I know that Plague Years came out in 2006, didn't it? But, um, yeah. Uh, so I've kind of known Robert since like 2000 and three four ish i guess from having been to see the band that he plays in uh voice mm. x fire play i don't know your voice fire apart from afi are probably the most watched band i've seen i think probably <laughs> 12 or 13 14 times i reckon i've seen voice x fire um but you know you've kind of been in this hardcore punk scene now being in a group with like obviously all the rest of those guys like I kind of I remember a while back uh sort of Nathan's obviously been putting his life back together a little bit over the mm. last few years um mm -hmm. and it kind of all kicked off with him kind of saying shit I need to get into some kind of shape like he'd yes. kind of put on a bit bunch of weight and you know he was dealing with all of his kind of demons and stuff now yes. I remember seeing him and you like working out together and he was doing some meditations and, and mm -hmm. some asana and stuff with you so when you were in that kind of, even before that point, I guess, but like, how did the rest of like this, like, I mean, they're all pretty, I, I, I don't know them, I've met them a few times and stuff, but, you know, kind of punk rock guys kind of take yeah. to the, take to the yoga side. And, you know, we, we, did you have like your practice of like mantra chanting, like on the bus mm. and stuff like that? Always. Yeah. Cool. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, that's, that's, that's funny that you asked because Voices Fire is in the best sense a very, very dynamic yes. and oftentimes dysfunctional but loving family, right? <laughs> so for people to understand our band is more like brothers than it is work acquaintances, right? So we live together, 
we came up together. I joined, like you said, um, after the band had been in existence for a while, but I had been so close with them years before I worked right. as a roadie for them and okay. I toured the world with them. So it was not an, a coincidence that I ended up joining. I was already kind of, they hijacked me already in a sense. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and it's been always interesting because even though I too had, and this is long, long ago, I had times where I experimented with, you know, alcohol and, and certain other things um, as you do as a young you know, basically a, a young adolescent coming up in a rock group touring the world, I quickly noticed that it kind of challenged my inner mental and physical symmetry. So it kind of brought me right back to the practices I've been doing all along. So yes, to answer your question, I am the one who's in bed right after the show is done when we tour. And um, there's it's since it's brotherly love, not only do not only can I do all of that, um, but it's great fun, right? We laugh about this. Like yeah. our guitarist, Chad, and, and me, we're super close. But he goes to bed around the time that I get up when we're on tour, <laughs> yeah. right? So he loves to drink, carry on, and they have bus parties. But we have certain boundaries where it's like, hey, oh, there's incense. Oh, Robert's going to bed. Like, And they're very, like, always being very accepting all along and I, it would literally be, you know, me sitting in a corner doing weird breath work, um, like for real. And, and they would just be sitting over there and that would be, it would never, it was always unity in diversity. And that's what made Boys Inspire, I think, such an interesting unit because we are all so different. With Nathan, it was especially different because he really kind of lost his way for a bit there and uh, got into, you know, mental and physical trouble, as you said. And it was amazing to see how he used movement and then a, a certain body work practice led to more breathing awareness. And then the more breathing awareness brought him to meditation. And now we're at the point where he's texting me, Robert, I just read about the Trimurti you know, the, the, yeah. the, Indian, the Indian threefold divinity. And he's like, that is amazing. And, and so now we go back and forth, uh, even on psychological, uh, even on, on Indian philosophy and stuff like amazing. that. Amazing. So, so it's, it's kind of nice to see how it's not that he's, and we laugh about it too, you know, of course, because he's like, oh, this stuff is interesting. I maybe should have listened when you told me about it 15 years ago. <laughs> 15 right? years so, ago, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, you know, to be fair, everyone is on their unique path was, i'm just exactly glad my brother said, is doing it? is doing better and i think he found the right tools and um i'm just doing me like when i tour there's not one bit of difference to when i'm here with my family like i said for me being a yogi is not a conscious choice and talk about cultural appropriation i i love india oh. i i it's just my I thing i was going right? to bring that it's, i wanted to bring it up a little bit because um yeah uh, you know, there's definitely, especially with the uh, the Kundalini side of things. Um, yeah. I've read and heard so many people like discussing and saying it almost shouldn't be done. It's complete cultural appropriation to be doing kind of Kundalini and all of the the mantras and all of like the you know because that side it comes, of things. But because it comes from first for people who are listening, um, a lot of the Kundalini practices and the s practices from the Sikh religion are 
the, the same. So the, the mantras that are used are partly the same. And, um, and you know what, Rips, that brings me back to earlier when I said that my interest in yoga was non-sectarian and not mm. infused by a religious searching. Because you got to think, I grew up in a small town, like I said, and I came up as a, you know, altar boy in a Catholic church. So I, at, by the time I was 10, I already was done with religion. You know, yeah. I saw how those priests behaved and not that anything bad happened to me, but I just, it, it didn't inspire me. And None. that got only reignited by shelter who had found a for them fitting spiritual practice that obviously infused and injected their life with passion and with a sense for, of adventure. Um, so I was kind of done with religion and, and, and I, I kind of still am. I always just look for inspiration, like I said. And for me, I never looked at it as like, I want to become a Sikh. I want to be, no. I play in a band that's called the Satnam Sessions. I am aware of the Gurmukhi mantras having, you know, coming from a place in India in the north in northern India called the Punjab. And I'm aware when I, you know, chant the Hare Krishna mantra, where it comes from. I respect those lineages equally, but I never felt I had to make a choice. And I think to say, well, you shouldn't be doing, you know, let's say Kundalini yoga because um, some of the mantras there are, I think that's good, taking it a little too far because if you do respect where something comes from and you use it for your own higher frequency and you use it with respect, then I think it's not appropriation. It's just using technologies that for some karmic reasons respond with you, right? Yeah. And so I never have a problem mixing mantra styles. I love Sanskrit. I love Gurmukhi. Um, my wife is a Kundalini teacher, but she's also half Indian. So what is she supposed to do? She's yeah. neither neither Indian nor German. She's both. Her mother is German, as German as they come. And her father was a tabla master from Bengal. So, and Mitali res response, her inner response was to a part of India that her family is not from, you know? So she grew up, her father grew up obviously in Kolkata where they have Kolkata. Sanskrit, they're Brahmins. There's a Brahmin family. But Mitali um, resonated the most with Gurmukhi mantras from another part of India. So I just never, I can never understand why. And you know what, Lips, at the end of the day, people who would say something like that are usually people who kind of want to stir up shit anyhow. And yeah. that, that speaks of a low frequency. So I'm, I feel sorry for them, especially keyboard warriors. Yeah. Some, you know, because essentially the reality is if you are putting yourself out there and you are sharing your experiences, your inner experiences, your practice. Well, someone's bound to be offended at this point in, in time, right? So, I mean, who cares? Look at, if George Harrison would be alive right now, yeah, I know. People, people would be like, you are not from India. What are you doing? You know what I mean? I and, but I, I'm glad he did everything he did. He showed only appreciation. And you know who wasn't offended? Ravi Shankar wasn't offended. No. Srila, Prabhup Srila Prabhupada wasn't offended. It's always people who have a low frequency who try to stir up shit. Now, if someone would make fun of something, if someone would use a technology 
um, in a degrading way, of course, then we have a problem, right? Yeah. If these mantras are holy for people, but I just don't understand why I can't use them because I'm in a German body. That makes no sense to me. Essentially, as when we talk about yoga, one of the first principles in yoga is I'm not this body. I'm a spirit yeah. soul. That's it. So that is the first thing you learn. The first thing is you're not this body. The second thing is you're not even your mind. And the no. third thing is you're not your emotions either. And if you accept these three tenets of yoga, well, then we shouldn't have a problem because this is just a German vehicle that I'm driving right now. And as we know, German vehicles are kind of good. So I'm, <laughs> that's, 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 all, that's all good. But um, as a Brit, I probably can't say anything about that because our vehicles are terrible. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I think that the whole the whole cultural appropriation discussion, or what parts of of yoga you can use or can't use, or what lineages you can mix or can't mix, I'll tell you right now, I can do whatever the fuck I want because if it makes me feel good. I'll use that technology. Yeah. And you know what? Founders of religions were also not just coming up with shit. Yeah. That was also already part of their DNA in culturally speaking. So, you know, I, I just, Buddhism has its roots in Hinduism. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. A, a, a division of Buddhists and Hindus makes no sense. You know, or Sikhism is kind of like a, almost a mixture of like Muslim thought and then Hindu thought because it's on the border there. Yeah. And so I. And when you really, look at the, the conflicts up there, it's absolutely crazy, isn't it? Yes, like you think of all of the crazy. conflicts up there. I mean, I traveled got, through like Amritsar and like parts of Rajasthan up towards, you know, the borders and things. And it's, you know, you, you go down to the the border between India and Pakistan and you've kind of got you know the big show off every night where they kind of meet at the border and they do their big stamping and and, and you kind of go well this is kind of fun but like this is kind of serious too and really yes. like look you the thing that always got me was you've you've managed to put together this this show where you you do the same thing every night and you and, it, and it's properly choreographed mm. you like you guys have managed to do that. Like, why can't you just do that in the other spheres? Do you know what I mean? Like, you're clearly yeah. not that different because you're happy to, like, dance together every night. Mm. You know, yeah, you're dancing with guns and you're marching and doing excessive stuff. But you're not that different. Do you know what I mean? Like, between the Sikhs and the, and the um, uh, Muslims and stuff, you know, they're all from the same you know from the same uh, base and sort of ground and, and and that's why spirituality i think that's why i'm so so disinterested in all the dogma that certain philosophies bring ideologies. or the details or ideologies because it doesn't serve a purpose in my life and to i just even when people are negative uh, in response to something anyone does i think it says a lot more about people the people who are negative it shows that they still have room to improve um to get more well-being and more true well-being which i think like we said with laughter or tolerance or being at ease with yourself 
I think that's the true qualities we we are seeking. And if yoga offers technologies that bring you closer to true inner well-being, then I mm. think that should be free. Then that that should be for any anyone, right? Absolutely. And um, it shouldn't be restricted to a certain religion and to a certain group of people, a certain color of skin, a, certainly not a, a, a certain gender. No. And um, so it, it's not a big deal, to be honest, for me, because I just don't pay a lot of attention to all that stuff and all those discussions. And I have love for all the mentioned philosophies, all the mentioned lineages, but I don't need to claim one. You no. know, I just use what works for me and try to be the happiest and most adventurous incarnation that I can be. And that's it. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I think that kind of probably is a fairly good place to, to round off and finish because it's just, you know, that's what we're looking for really, isn't it? Just more adventurous, more rounded, closer to yourself and whatever you need to do it. Do you know what I mean? I just yes. Whatever, whatever tools are available to you, like grab them, use them, take what you can, leave what you leave what you can't. That's it. And, and it's not about who's a yogi, who's not. I just read a great biography by Willie Nelson, the great country mm -hmm. singer. And he says a lot of things that resonated deeply with me. Now, can I not take the advice or the inspiration of a 90-year-old country singer because he is from, you know, Texas? Texas. I'm not from Texas. So it's just regional differences. And you can find truth anywhere if you're open to it and you can find teachers anywhere if you're Absolutely. open enough and that's that. why to bring all of what we talked about full circle that's why i do believe that we are seekers and seekers of truth are a lot more adventurous and a lot more fulfilled than finders of truth because the problem with finding truth is that almost immediately you start to defend your truth And you start mm -hmm. to discredit someone else's truth. So I'm really happy to stay a seeker until I leave this German body and um, yeah. ho hopefully uh, reincarnate as one of your dogs. And um, <laughs> I, I, th I think it's, re it's really, I'll know you're, it's doing, you. you're doing the, the yoga scene um, in general, and especially where you're from in the UK, a great service by keeping an Thank open you. mind, by speaking your mind. And by raising questions and by just trying to be of service, that's because it's essentially all we do is try to uplift our inner frequency. Why? So we have a better experience. However, life unfolds, we know there will be ups and downs. And who didn't know knows now yeah. <laughs> due, due to a pandemic. Um, so we need to work on that inner strength. But essentially, it's not about us. It's about uplifting, like I said earlier leaving situations, leaving conversations, leaving exchange with other people a little bit better than, you know, before you got involved. And I think that's the, the main task of our times because from a yogic standpoint, we live in Kali Yuga, the age of quarrel and hypocrisy. And you don't need to be a yogi to believe that. You just need to open a newspaper. <laughs> yeah, 100%. 100%. When, I was young, when I was younger, Wibs, I it didn't make so much sense to me when I read in those Indian texts, like, okay, this is the age of quarrel and hypocrisy. But I kind of liked my life. You know what I mean? I was like, it's not so bad. What's wrong with this? And now in the year 21, I kind of 
you need to just open a newspaper in Britain or here and you see it. You see the quarrel, you see the division, you see the mental ailments and you see how people suffer their own thoughts and their own barriers and their own inner boundaries. And I think if, if yoga can bring anything to the table, it's really an, a technology to, on a physical plane, on a mental plane, and on an emotional plane, learning and relearning how to let go of everything that brings us tension, like anger, like greed, like all these things that we would be so much better off without. And for the rest, it's exactly like you said, it's just about being a hopefully decent person, loving person. And no one who's ever commented negatively on the internet or anything like that feels happy inside. No one who writes as a comment, you know, be it for a yoga teacher, a martial artist, a classical musician, it doesn't matter. If that is your energetic output to put other people down, to feel good for yourself, then we have an energetic problem. And I just wish people more inner fulfillment. That's it. Love it. Yeah, I don't think there's anything else to say. I think that's such a a nice round off to it. I kind of can't just help but wish others more fulfillment. Um, Well, I can't say thanks enough, but honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Like, as like I say, you were pretty much the reason I wanted to start a podcast because I wanted to chat to you <laughs> about this stuff. So the fact I've managed to do it so early on has been amazing. Um, I'm not entirely we'll do sure. It, we'll, we'll do it again, Rips. It was, yeah, man, that would be amazing. A, it was such That'd a pleasure awesome. talking to you. Thank you for your kind words and thank you for your interest and everything you do. Um, also, please unknowingly pass on my appreciation to your wife. Of course, and, I will. Um, Same to your wife. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, please and before keep we in go, touch. Um, yes. Just briefly, uh, if people want to know more about you, because I know you've got this book coming out, uh, but yes. it's going to be in German to begin with, isn't yes. it? Now, I did, I did hit you up on Instagram and say, uh, I want a copy, but I don't speak yeah. German. So, no, um, we, we'll, we're starting our English programs. Um, it, we've been in, in a somewhat of a transition phase because the book took a little bit of, of work because we wanted to put it out really quickly. It's as you said, it's coming out in German first because that's how it was written. Um, yeah. It's coming out in March <clears throat> and uh, hopefully it will be followed by an English version sometime later this year. But we're also on, uh, we're also about to uh, start English programs. I have a, a Bhagavad Gita seminar that is uh, uh, also happening this month. It's an introduction to the Bhagavad Gita for yoga teachers or, or people who are just interested. And um, we're going to do that in German first and then in English as well. Okay. And if someone's interested, um, you can find me, for example, on Instagram, Robert Ehrenbrand, E-H-R-E-N-B-R-A-N-D. And um, I all the posts there are in German and English as well. So I don't want to exclude anyone. So, you know, whoever's interested, if anyone listening to this has further questions, hit me up on Instagram or Facebook or what have you. And um, yeah, that's, well, that's where, you, where you find me. In the, I'll put all the links and thing. I'll put the Satnam sessions on there as well. I, uh, ama- be, um, amazing. Thank you. That'd be, um, you know, I'm sure there'd be many people who'd be interested in that as well. So yeah. Um, and then obviously, as soon as I know more and it comes out, I'll 
we'll do another one about the book when the book comes into English and we can do another chat and kind of just Amazing. chat solely about that. Amazing. Um, awesome. Right, mate. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to end this now and, um, yeah, again, thank you so much and we'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. All right, Whips. It was great talking Cheers, to fella. you.